Welcome to the Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife Podcast Archive, where you have access to all the amazing insights Dr. Finlayson Fife has shared through hundreds of interviews. I'm Mackenzie, Dr. Finlayson Fife's assistant, and we are so glad that you're here. I'm so excited to welcome Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife onto Ladies Talking Love today. Thanks so much for joining me, Dr. Fife. Thanks for having me. Before we get started, can you just give us a little background about how you first got interested in studying sexuality? As a young person, I always cared a lot about relationships and why people did the things they did. I was definitely a social scientist at a young age without having a name for it. And, you know, I eventually decided that I wanted to really study to be a therapist and to particularly to address marriage relationships. I've loved learning from you and you've done such awesome work. So I'm so happy to have you on today. Thank you. So before we jump into kind of this orgasm gap, we see a lot in women not being able to reach orgasm as much as men. Can you give us a definition? What is an orgasm? You know, I tend to talk about it this way. We have two thresholds in our body when it comes to arousal and orgasm. There's the arousal threshold. So this is when you're vagina starts to lubricate, more blood flow goes to the genital area, you're becoming physiologically aroused. Okay. For men, that's an erection, right? And then with ongoing high quality and quantity of stimulation, and that can be both psychological and physical, you will eventually get to your orgasm threshold. Okay. And if you have enough of that positive stimulation to get over the orgasm threshold, then you will experience the most positive reflex that the human body knows, which is a non-chosen response where your body will have an orgasm. And so the vaginal muscles contract and there is a pulsating feeling, a strong sense of like pleasure and well-being. So um, I don't know if I'm describing it very well, but it's <laughs> a lot of times, a lot of times people say, you'll know if you've had one, that's not entirely true actually, because I think some women, when they're first having orgasms, because they have a lot of anxiety or a lot of breaks on themselves, which we can talk about, they will often have a very suppressed experience, but they will mm-hmm. feel some sort of fluctuation in their vulva area. And so they are having sort of the beginning of an orgasm, but with increased kind of openness to oneself, taking some of those breaks off, you can have a more and more noticeable and highly positive experience. Which has been kind of a frustrating definition. Like you'll know when you have one. And if you haven't, you're like, yeah, exactly. What is it? And just like you said, I hadn't realized until recently, like not all orgasms are created equally. And so it can be tricky. Like, have I, have I not? So what, what are some of the things that you've noticed in your practice and in working with women that kind of affect their ability to take the brakes off and allow a full orgasm that they could be like, I, yeah. I have yeah. had an orgasm. So one of the people that I've studied a lot is uh, the work of Dr. David Schnarch, and he does a lot of work around differentiation of self. One of the things that he said is that belonging to ourselves is more important to us than being sexual. And this goes back to my dissertation research, women who transitioned happily into marriage, they had a strong sense of self and they owned their sexuality and they owned their sexual choices. And so it was all in alignment. So being sexual was to add to their experience of self. It expanded their sense of self. The women who didn't like sex, they felt that being sexual constricted their sense of self. 
So it was to be sexual was to lose an identity as a virginal, innocent woman, which had been important to them if they rejected sex. It was to service their husband and his ego and his needs. That would be to lose your sense of self. If it felt like I can't be a, you know, for religious people, I can't be a good person and be having intense orgasms. Okay. Well, they're not going to have them (laughs) then because if they, if they want to feel like I belong to a sense of who I should legitimately be, that becomes more important than sexual pleasure. So that's just an important piece to think about because if you are struggling to be sexual, it may well have to do with how you're in relationship to yourself as a sexual being. So what does it mean to me to have an orgasm? I think this is be a very important question. What scares me about it? What am I afraid of? For some people, they have, well, I'm afraid to really try because what if I can't? Then it means I'm broken. I'm a failure. Uh, I'm afraid if I have an orgasm, then I'll be beholden to my spouse for life. Because as long as I'm broken, I kind of can assert a freedom Mm. and not have to service him. I'm not saying these are the right ideas, but these are often the ideas that (laughs) people have in their minds, right? Or I'm afraid of failure, but some people are afraid of success. Mm -hmm. You know, my mother always hated sex. She always told me, you know, with disgust that it was something that men always wanted or whatever. What if I were to actually step into a different identity around sexuality and actually claim joy, or if somebody's grown up learning to be a good woman is to be a martyr, can I really claim joy and not lose a hold of some way of being that's very familiar to me? So again, it's, it's going back to what are the meanings? Another meaning that's common is people feeling like I'm taking too long. You know, <laughs> I can't ask this of my spouse. I can't ask it of myself. There's something wrong with me. And these kind of self-deprecating meanings are a big break on one sexuality. So when pleasure is connected to freedom and strength, that's the pathway that people can find a way into their full sexuality. I'm laughing over here because I've totally felt some of those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and I think for me too, another fear adding a meaning to why I might be afraid to orgasm was like to lose control. Like what yes. will that be like to lose control and I don't have control anymore? And what am I gonna look like or act yes. like or do? And it, it can be scary Absolutely. to move into that. So what are some of your tips to kind of start to regain this sense of self, especially around our sexuality as women? Well, I mean, at least it's a little bit hard for me to put it in tips uh, because it's, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not quite so 10 things to do to orgasm by tomorrow, but, right. <laughs> but, but that's not me voting against it either, because looking at what is the meaning that's operating in my mind, because it's your brain is your most important sexual organ. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are operating in the idea that they can't orgasm. And that's just not true. I mean, it's so extremely rare to have a biological condition in which one can't orgasm that it's almost not worth talking about because it's the meanings, you know? So for example, dogs don't have sexual dysfunction. They can copulate an orgasm and reproduce, but the reason is because they don't have a prefrontal cortex. And so they can't bring meaning to their sexuality. So the dog's not thinking things like, does he really love me or is he just in it for the (laughs) sex? I've really put weight on my thighs. You know, I feel so unattractive. They can't create those meanings that interfere with sexual functioning. By the same token, they can't create meanings that make sex about love and connection and joy either, right? So that prefrontal is a nice thing, but you have to really look at, okay, very unlikely do I have a biological condition. So psychologically, what is operating in my mind? 
And, you know, I do a course, The Art of Desire, where I'm helping women to kind of break down those meanings. Like, what is it that I'm thinking if I'm getting close to orgasm or I'm being stimulated? What are the thoughts in my mind? Because if you can get them from just floating around in there and get them written down and then take a look at how might I change this meaning? How might I think about it in a way that's more a deeper self-respecting position, a position in which I'm in control of my life, right? A position in which I am the chooser and the actor and that I'm kind to myself, that I'm relating to myself like I would want a lover to relate to me with kindness, with compassion, with acceptance. A lot of times we want our partner to be fully affirming and loving and patient, but we don't offer the same to ourselves. Yeah. And so looking at how we're in relationship to our own bodies, to our own sexual pleasure, you know, for example, just to give some examples of how this is, is like some women might say like, I'm taking too long. It just, I take forever. <laughs> right. <laughs> but then my question is, well, how much time are you worth? Mm -hmm. Right. And do you want to be in relationship to yourself in the idea that you aren't worth your time or your spouse's time, right? And so it's like helping them challenge the idea or, um, you know, I'll give up all my choices. If I have an orgasm, then I can't get away with the idea that I've broken. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but, you know, I think what the replacement thought might be, I will always have choices. I always get to choose at any point how I engage my sexuality, how I'm going to be in relationship to myself and be in relationship to my spouse. I'm always a chooser and this will not take away my freedom. Let's say you have the thought like, well, I'm sort of disavowing what it is to be a good woman. Good women don't have orgasms. <laughs> <laughs> not true. Not true. not true. Yes. I love that idea though, because a lot of what an orgasm is happens in our brain. And so a lot of it is psychological work. That's right. In all the meanings, all the things that are kind of holding us back. That's and right. you touched on with like taking a long time. That was something I really struggle with. So I'm like, he's bored. Yes. He's, just, he's not even, and that is like a great orgasm killer right there yeah. to be thinking right. that. Exactly. So what are some things we can maybe do to talk with our spouse to kind of work through? Like it might be taking a long time. How can we kind of work with them yeah. and help them? Right. Because exactly. it can be frustrating as the partner sure. too, to be like, I am taking a long time and I, this is hard. And I have hand cramps. I can't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, well, I think being explicit about this is a way that I struggle to be intimate about it with your spouse to say, I start getting anxious. I think you start getting anxious. You want me to be successful. You probably feel my anxiety. We start getting anxious and anxiety <laughs> is a break. Yeah. Right. So you're trying to get close to orgasm and then you're like, oh my gosh, is this ever going to happen? And that just, <laughs> you know, knocks you down a few, you know, <laughs> pegs. And so then it's just, it's not connected to freedom and joy. So a couple ways to think about that. One is to just for your spouse to sort of be on board with you, which is if this takes four hours, I'm here the whole way and I don't care. Right. For, yeah. Even for a spouse to be that explicit, like you are worth it. Right. And you need to remember that you're worth it. Uh, that's helpful because then it's like, look, we're, we're doing this as a shared thing. Another possibility might be to say, I have such a hard time accepting that I'm worth it or like managing that on top of my own pleasure that I want to try something different. I'm going to work with myself for 10 minutes or something. Then have you come in and see if I can like, once I've already done some things that help me try that. Now, not because you're not worth his time or any of that, but just like, 
this is a way of me managing some of my anxieties about it. For some women, it's like, look, I'm going to master this on my own. I'm going to get proficient at this so that I'm not, don't feel like I'm on stage. It's just more than my mind can handle. I want to get good at this. And then I can work on doing this with you, both teaching you what gives me pleasure, handling any anxiety I may have in the exposure of it, which is its own challenge, right? So I think it's often a wise way to do it where you manage the anxiety level in a workable space. So if you think about when you go to the gym, you don't want to be working out so hard that you're doing damage, that it's overwhelming, but you also don't want to be just like, you don't want to be too comfortable (laughs) either, which I often am. (laughs) You want to be where you're like, oh, make it stop. I want this to end soon, right? Because that's what creates change or that's what creates brain change if you're pushing your mind into an area that's challenging. So around orgasm, you don't want to be flooded with anxiety. But you don't want to be too comfortable either if you're trying to expand your sexual capacity. So how do I kind of work with that? If it's too much to have my spouse present, then maybe it works. And you can be collaborative and straightforward and honest about this. But, you know, I'm going to work with myself a bit. I have enough anxiety about that alone, you know, especially religious people who have learned you shouldn't touch your own genitals. And so that can be a place to work. And then once you feel like you're getting clearer, then you can bring your spouse into it. And which is its own, which is its own challenge, but a very valuable one. And I love that you gave so many different options because wherever your religious beliefs or personal values are, you can choose, you can try something, you can decide, actually, we want to do this together. But for me personally, I think there's such a big difference between exploration and masturbation. And I think we're so scared, especially in religious cultures of masturbation, that we don't always see the benefit of exploration because yeah. it's important to know what we right. like and what we don't like. Yes. Self-knowledge is critical because if you don't have have a sexual sense of self, you can't create sexual intimacy, right? So you need a self to share. So you need some identity and some ownership. These are the women that transitioned well in my research. They had a sense of ownership of their sexuality, even if it was very underdeveloped, right? By the time they went into a marriage, but they still had a sense that it belonged to them. Any sexuality that's strictly indulgent and anti-relational is a problem. So any sexual behavior that creates less ability to be in connection, less ability to be in peace with yourself, it shouldn't do. (laughs) But if you're in relationship to your sexuality in a way that's creating more capacity and strength and peace with your body, peace with yourself and ability to be in an intimate connection, it's a, it's a virtue. It's good. Yeah. And doing it for that connection. Like this is the purpose for bringing us together. I really like that definition and with our spouses, because sometimes when you're trying to learn how to orgasm, it is a really frustrating process. Do you have any tips on how you could work through communication to be like, okay, maybe we'll stop when this happens or, you know, just to figure out some ways, because it's a hard thing to start communicating about sex, especially if you're trying to learn how to orgasm. And yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can certainly give some ideas of what one says, but more important than the words you say is the collaborative alliance Mm -hmm. between you. That is to say that there's an under understanding that you're worth my time. We are worth our time. It is uncomfortable, but we're worth being uncomfortable for this benefit, for this goal, right? And the more we do it, the more comfortable we get with our sexual nature, the more comfortable we get with our sexual relationship, like to go and find deeper self-acceptance and other acceptance in the sexual realm is a real gift and a real, really a wonderful thing to create in your life. So 
if you can keep that end in mind, it can help you to navigate some of your discomfort and uncertainties. And certainly you can say, thank you for everything. Thank you for working with me. And I kind of know I need to step back from it tonight, but let's try it again tomorrow night, right? Meaning like we're in a process and we're going to keep growing and we don't have to come and be mean to ourselves about some external standard, but instead the way I'm in relationship to myself. It's, it's the same thing with orgasm. I'll say to women, you know, I don't think it's smart or kind to measure yourself based on whether or not you orgasm. Yeah. If you're going to measure yourself, measure yourself by how you're in relationship to yourself. How much courage do you bring? How much acceptance do you bring? How much willingness are you to push against your fears and to step into the unknown? That's a good measure of self, but not something you can't control, which yeah. is orgasm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and just working together. I really liked how you talked about just like, thank you for doing this and working with mm-hmm. me, but I'm not ready. And I, I was just thinking about how sometimes bringing those up in the moment is really helpful for me too. It's mm-hmm. like, I'm starting to feel like you're getting bored. <laughs> you know, yes. Is this true? And maybe my spouse is, and that's a yeah. great chance for him to be like, you know, I'm actually ready to stop today. Can we try this again tomorrow or whatever? Yeah, absolutely. So like we both get that chance I to be fully open agree with that. And, yep. <laughs> and honest, Yes, which is part of a collaborative relationship, which is I know I can't sort of bring my best right now. I'm distracted. I'm thinking about work. Because that that's actually builds trust in the relationship that yeah. you matter to me, but I also will be honest and I will be fair and we, we will figure this out and we can figure it out. And so I think that's just fundamental to a good partnership. Yeah. And to reframe, if they say, if our spouse says I'm done for tonight, not to take it personally, because I mm-hmm. think that can be so hard as a woman to be like, oh no, <laughs> yeah. it's like, he's got things just like we might say, okay, mm-hmm. I, I can't try anymore. Mm-hmm. So I, I really liked that you brought that up. And what would you recommend as women are, this is all about the art of desire course. So I know we can't cover your three-day class, <laughs> but just some thought for women who are like, I'm really struggling with figuring this out, how they could start to recognize pleasure and feel pleasure. In the art of desire course, the first thing I do, like the first half of it is kind of taking down all the kind of false constructions of female sexuality in particular and self because a lot of times we are immersed in these meanings that are anti-joy, anti-receiving and (laughs) anti-sexual. And we don't even know it. They just seem so normal. It's like, oh, this is just how to be a good woman. Well, this is a woman without any joy in her life. And she's (laughs) pushing off depression all the time because she's been steeped in a meaning frame that is anti-spiritual and sometimes in the name of spirituality, right? And so helping people to see that is really helpful for being able to find a different thread in their life and one that opens up all kinds of possibilities. So that's a foundational piece. And it's not one you can just kind of jump over it is you have to kind of think about what is the meaning frame I'm working in, in the first place around sex and pleasure and receiving, because a woman who's having really joyful, good sex, isn't ambivalent about receiving. Yeah. Isn't ambivalent about her own pleasure has a sense of self that can sustain that she is worth being given to. Yeah. And that's not a small thing. A lot of us have learned to be the self-sacrificing martyrs, pushing off pleasure as a function of goodness. And so unlearning that and seeing that not only does it not make you bad, it actually expands your capacity to create good and to be good. Yeah. So there's that piece. But then in the more concrete of you know working with the thoughts in your mind, I think it's also thinking about what are meanings 
that appeal to me sexually, meanings in my relationship, meaning in relationship to myself. What are the things, when I think about the best sex I've ever had, what were the meanings that were operating in that sexual experience? Because often we'll say like, I don't know, sometimes I'm in the mood, sometimes I'm not in the mood. I have no idea. Women are weird, you know? And, and I, don't mean to, I don't mean to say that you can always nail down every variable or that there aren't times when you're surprised your body is or is not responding. But there's often a thread and a theme that's a part of the really desirable sex and the less desirable sexuality, mm. the times when you feel open to it and the times when you don't. It's often linked to this expansion of self versus constriction of self, but what are the meanings? Now, sometimes they may surprise you. You might be like, why do I like that? Like a good person wouldn't <laughs> like that. <laughs> and to have a good sense of humor and in some ways to understand there's often a meaning in it that we can't fully see. You know, For example, I had a client who had intense family pressure to be successful to live in this sort of perfectionistic way. And the fantasy or the desire that she had was that she was a waitress that was desired by many men, okay? Well, in a way like that, that for her was like, what kind of person am I that I want many men in to knock over tables to get to me? <laughs> but you know, it's like, the, it's a meaning that's an antidote to what she always learned she should be. She had like mm -hmm. this very perfectionistic relationship to her body. She'd struggled with eating disorders because it all had to be about this sort of external performance. And this was, I'm sort of in a unimpressive career in a sense, you know, being a waitress compared to what she did professionally. Yeah. And I'm that desirable. I'm so desirable that people will break conventions to get access to me. Mm. So this desire had a meaning in it that I am compelling, that I'm sufficient, that I'm enough. Yeah. And so a lot of times our sexual desires are linked to this desire for safety and freedom, which is a Michael Bader idea, our desire to be accepted as we are. Yeah. So sometimes just thinking about what are the meanings that appeal and can I facilitate creating more of that meaning in my life, in my relationship, or even in a kind of playfulness between me and my partner. Yeah. Like sometimes people feel like, well, if you're, if you have any fantasy, then that means you're trying to get away from your relationship. But I think that's a simplistic idea. Sometimes people use ideas to get away from yeah. their spouse, but you can use ideas as a way to be in connection with your spouse okay, I'm the waitress, <laughs> you're the patron, and that's how amazing I am. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and, and I think that's so insightful too, to be able to take that meaning frame and say like, oh, I'm not feeling like I'm worthy or worthwhile yes. in my life to be able to break it down that and try to rewrite that in your head, no matter what, I am yes. worth my partner's time. And I, I really like that. That you don't have to impress the world and you are still accepted. Yes, exactly. I really like that. Yes. And I remember I was actually at one of your Art of Desire courses and I remember some women speaking up like, well, sex is horrible. Like we don't even like it. So what are some things you can tell women? Like, why would we even want to work for an orgasm? <laughs> like, why is it worth the time and effort that some of us have to put in? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, when somebody says it's not even, you know, worth it to me, why would I even want to? What I would probably say is there's probably some good reason why the sex you're having, you don't want. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that there's a meaning operating that would make it good judgment that you're trying to get away from that meaning, right? It's a lot of work and I don't feel loved and I feel just like I have to service him and it's after a long day of taking care of kids. Meaning there's a, there is a reason operating that they're not crazy. Yeah. <laughs> And they're not having sex worth wanting. Yeah. You know, my goal is to help women look at why that sex is not worth wanting. And is there ways that they can create 
sex worth wanting the why of it and again i'm not there's lots of people who will go to the grave and never have good sex okay and and they'll still live good lives but i think there is nothing better and richer than being able to fully bring your whole self to another person and their whole self to you and to find acceptance and a home yeah i think this is what we all long for we want intimacy Intimacy is hard because it means you have to tolerate exposure and you have to tolerate your flawed nature being exposed, uh, both physically and emotionally. But if you can have the kind of tolerance of that process of accepting who you are, knowing your spouse and creating a friendship, a sexual friendship, an emotional friendship, you've got the gold mine out there. I mean, it's like, it's such a resource. It's such a refuge in a world that can be misunderstand you in a world that can challenge us, that good sex is not about servicing. Mm-hmm. It's not about generosity to your partner. I mean, I know that sounds kind of harsh, but it's, it's true. <laughs> it's about, a, it's, you're not thinking in those frames. You're thinking about a joyful place to go together, yeah. to bring a core aspect of yourselves that you can share in that connection and that understanding. And it's really a gift to the partnership to work on that and to create that. And it's a gift to yourself as as well. And I know for me, like when I was in some of these other meaning frames, sex was something that took more energy away from me and was really frustrating instead of a place of safety to feel totally loved and accepted Yes, and totally refueling. Like it's about being together and creating, yeah, this beautiful, intimate space. That's right. And, and so much of masculinity and men, when they've done research with men, men can genuinely be sexually generous. Like they want, many men talk about their peak sexual experience was giving pleasure to their partner. And so it's sometimes contradictory because if you have a hard time receiving pleasure and you have a hard time letting yourself be given to, I think if there's anybody who's got in a good sexual relationship, I personally think it's a little imbalanced towards the woman. She's the one who gets it good. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Because women have deeper and more sexual capacity than men do. And men, you know, when, when it's aligned in the right way, men are really often sacrificing their immediate pleasure for her ultimate high pleasure. Yeah. And thankfully to so many good men, they want to do that. They enjoy being able to offer that. And so when you allow that kind of giving and receiving, it blesses both people so much. I'm so glad that you brought that up because I think as a woman in this culture we've been raising, it was like, it's all about men. Yeah. And we miss this deeper meaning that men aren't as satisfied when we're not. And we have to, no. to let uh-huh. them give to us and for us to receive. And of course we That's give right. to them in sex as well, but it's allowing, because it often takes longer for women. So they do sacrifice a yeah. little more, which is beautiful and a beautiful part of the life we can right. create. As we kind of close up, Can you just maybe give a couple tips? I know this is hard to put into tips, but just some Mm -hmm. things that maybe women can start to ask themselves to start this. Sure. These thoughts to figure out what's going on to help them be more present where they're at. Maybe they're already orgasming, but to be more present in those orgasms or to kind of start the process of learning how to orgasm. I mean, I might be asking myself at least the parts of sex that I don't like, or if I'm ambivalent about sex, why am I? And that is to say, there's something there that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's not that I'm broken, that there's something wrong with me, but more to think about 
why does it make sense that I don't like it? What's the meaning that's operating within me or between us that this isn't a place of refuge? It's not a place of comfort for me. Because I think just starting to tease it out and take a look at it can be really helpful. If this were to be sex worth wanting, right? If this were to be a place that I would actually like to be, what can I imagine that sexuality being like? What would our relationship be like? What would our sexual relationship be like? So that it's not so much like in the frame of I'm not what my husband wants or I'm not what people say I should be or, you know, instead, what is it that I don't like about it? And why does it make sense that I don't? Not to justify, like not to be like, it makes sense, okay? So, <laughs> but, but more to understand it better. And then to think if, if I were to be a real participant in creating desirable sex, what would that look like for me? So that we are stepping out of this male-defined idea that we are in response to and more really being a sexual partner that you are co-creating a relationship that's more rejuvenating for you, that's more a source of pleasure and desire. So it's just starting to ask yourself those questions because there is a sense to it. Wherever you are operating in your sexuality right now, for better or for worse, there is a meaning and a sense to it. The other question I might ask myself is, if I want to have more pleasure, what do I think is interfering with receiving it? What are my ambivalences about receiving? What are my ambivalences about physical pleasure, about orgasm? You know, what are the things that frighten me about it? And is there some way to reconsider this in a way that allowing this pleasure, allowing this capacity in my life will accrue to my strength and my ability to do good? When you're in division from your body, it's very hard to be at peace with yourself. And when you're not at peace with yourself, it's hard to create good in the world. It's hard to come and bring your whole self to other people. You're always sort of in this anxiety and this kind of division within yourself. So coming to peace with your body, coming to peace with your sexuality is a really important part of finding your strength. So what do I need to work on to kind of make more room for that understanding? of self-acceptance, of accepting my body, because it, it turns it from a, I should to I want this for my own capacity and my own peace of mind. And I found that too, it, having this safe place where I can accept myself and my sexuality and my spouse does as well. It allows me to do more and be more because I have a safe place I'm accepted to then go out and yes, be whatever <laughs> I want to be, which I think oh, is just absolutely. such a beautiful benefit of a great intimate yes. relationship in our lives. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on Dr. Finlayson Fife. This has been awesome. Can you tell us where we can find you? Sure. You can go to my website, which is just my last name, not an easy last name. <laughs> it's finlayson-fife.com. And on my website, there is a podcast archive. So you can listen to hours of interviews <laughs> with me with different podcasters. Um, but I also have five online courses you know, my focus has been primarily Latter-day Saints, but it's really for anybody. It's very much like I'm talking today about principles for how to thrive in one's life. So I have a relationship course around your emotional relationship, your sexual relationship. And then I have a sexual and self-development course for both men and women. So an art of desire course is the women's course you were just talking about. 
The men's course is called The Art of Loving. This is about coming into deeper peace with yourself, with your sexual nature, and how to be more deeply integrated with it and to create more strength in your life and in your relationship through that acceptance of your sexuality. And then I have a how to talk to your kids about sex course. So just how to be a good mentor to them at every stage in their development. Yes. So they don't have to go through some of the things we have. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> with the culture, we can shift the culture with our kids. I love that. We can. I love that so much. We Thank can. you so much for coming on today. This has been awesome. Thanks for having me. All right. Did you have any realizations during that episode about meaning frames that are operating in your life? I definitely had to giggle multiple times because I was like, oh yeah, that has happened to me or still is. I feel like I still really struggle when I'm taking a long time to warm up and I get so nervous and it's such a great orgasm killer to be like, I'm taking so long. My husband doesn't want to be here anymore. But it's been really good to be more intimate and vulnerable and open, just like Dr. Finlayson Fife said, to talk about it, to let them know your insecurities, let your partner know what is worrying you or what you feel uncomfortable about and to work through it together so that you know that you're worth the time because you are. And you're worth loving yourself. I like how she asked, how do we interact with ourselves? Do we interact with ourselves like we would expect a loving and caring partner would interact with us? I think oftentimes the answer is no. We treat ourselves so much worse than someone who loved and cared about us would treat us. I hope that this episode gave you some good things to think about and really helped you start to recognize what meaning frames are operating for you. And I think realizing is the first step to then being able to move forward and start to change that. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and found this information helpful, we ask that you rate, review, and share the podcast so that more people can find and benefit from it. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Finlayson Fife and the work that she does, follow the link in the show notes below to find more information about her online courses, upcoming events, and her free Facebook group.